So, all of our stories of Brits in America have gone absolutely mental viral. Jamie Morgan Kane, first ever podcast. His podcast combined clips at 10 million views. John Abbott, San Quentin prison stories, Yakuza stories, Scape stories, Canada prison stories. Must be well over a million views. And I think today is going to be no exception. Oh, let's not forget Wildman, English enforcer in Arizona prison. If you didn't see that podcast, I think it it, uh, it is at um, almost half a million. And Wildman would have absolutely loved to have met Richard, who was when you look at him, would you would you think this? Who was a cook for the ABs in Texas. And when I say AB, I mean the extremely dangerous Aryan Brotherhood prison gang. And Richard sent over an email highlighting his story. Never has anyone sent 10,000 words. <laughs> Last night I was reading this stuff grip, just like, holy shit. I can't wait to speak to him. And he's lucky to be alive, as you're about to find out, because this gets very dark, very dangerous. In America on the border, you've got California, you've got Arizona, you've got New Mexico, where Walter White and Jesse were, and then you've got Texas. Strange things happen in the Southwest. If you've watched No Country for Old Men, or various other movies where you see people stop at like a rickety gas station with hillbilly attendant and the petrol pump goes clickety, 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 clicky. And there's dust blowing and dust devils and tumbleweed. <laughs> this is the kind of just setting the scene a little bit because I did go out to Texas. You see him with the cowboy hats on and the guns and the cops are no joke out there. So... We're about to learn all of this. I'm encouraging Richard to write his own book. 10,000 words is 10% of a book. If he turns these uh, 20 points into 20 stories into chapters, it's going to be mind-blowing. Jamie Morgan Kane got his first book out, and I'm hoping to publish his second book. His first, if you've not checked it out, is available worldwide on Amazon. And um, I think this may be a multi-parter as well. Because Richard himself said, before we came in, this is just a fraction of the things that have happened in his life. We're talking not just Texas Eva, we're talking he ended up getting deported and coming back through Mexico at a time when the Zetas were having a war with another cartel. And if he were to get pulled over by the Zetas, he probably would have been executed on the spot. Anyway, I know there's a massive fascination with the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang. So, huge thank you for coming on, Richard. Really appreciate it. We're going to go back to how you grew up in London, in the northwest side. So, where, whereabouts exactly was that again? I grew up in a town called Rainers Lane, which is near Harrow. Yeah. Um, northwest London, yeah. And what was your heritage then? Um, my dad, he's a Greek Cypriot. He moved here when he was uh, 12 to 13. He actually moved here a year after his dad was murdered by 
the IOCA, which was a Cypriot um, terrorist group, um, what actually happened, um, two, I believe two men came dressed as a, pre a priest. They got changed in a um, church near a little shop that he had in the village, which he actually showed me last year, or two summers ago, we went there and visited it. And um, they came, got dressed as priests. My dad was stood next to him at the age of, say, 11. And I think his older brother was next to him and they shot him, took part of his head off. Killed him on the spot, yeah. Oh, how did that affect your dad then? See, we've always, I've always wondered how it hasn't affected my dad, but recently, uh, he's actually a bit of a nutcase as far as he would never let a man get over on him. He's got a bad temper. I always put it down to just being Greek, you know, having a bad temper. But over the years, and some stuff happened recently, and I saw his temperament, and we're putting it down to that. I mean, he will not let anyone move an inch on him. He's, he's you know, he's always been someone to look after the family and look after his brothers and this and that. Um, but, so I suppose it did. I'm not one to say it didn't affect him, you know. And bear this in mind because Richard's dad is going to play an important role in this epic story. Yeah. So, wow, he saw his own dad get executed just like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And your mum called you the spiritual child. Yeah. she. Um, my mum, as a young kid, as like real young, she said I was either going to go like the other way, like I'd be a preacher or something, or real naughty because I was a naughty kid in school she said when I was born as a toddler and stuff I was the best kid she had like absolutely well behaved um, like an angel and then my first open evening at school she sat down as two female teachers and she said they looked at the name and said Richard Shellis and it hmm Richard Shellis they looked at each other they said where do we start she said what Are you sure you got the right boy she goes yeah we're sure and from then on through the whole of my middle school anyway and junior school I was an absolute nightmare apparently real disruptive and just always into something um but yeah did you have siblings yes i got my brother's 10 years older than me he went to texas in 1990 got married and had kids a sister who's six years older she married an american a sister who's three years younger she also married american so that's how the american connection got mm -hmm. established that's right same with my family i had like aunts um GI brides and stuff like yeah. that and established themselves in Chicago and then Arizona. Mm. So what kind of friends did you associate with in Northwest London? Well, growing up, most of my mates were obviously all working class, families and stuff. Um, I had good friends. I had friends that, I had a group of friends that were into the clubbing scene, but I was never into that myself. Um, when, I, when, I, when I was about 17, um, I was more into the lads that we were just out fighting all the time ridiculous when I look back at it it was crazy like three fights a week with they were getting worse and worse because we were just kids but we we're not fighting bouncers and it was just stupid we were a nightmare a right nuisance you know yeah and yeah. it was getting worse and worse I must admit what did you get out of fighting at that age was it the adrenaline adrenaline it's all about adrenaline it's absolutely unnecessary I don't even if I think about it I don't even know how it would happen but it's just a British way for a lot of kids isn't it you know? Well, sadly, it's escalated to knives and yes. acid attacks and all kinds of shit now, hasn't it? Yeah, that's a shame, because it wasn't like that when I was growing up. And were there any notorious London characters around at that time? Yeah, um, my dad knew a, a good few. Um, in fact, one of them, a good friend of my dad's, he had to sort out a couple of things, because I, I was like 16, getting in fights with grown men. 
and they'd be dropping names of other notorious characters. And one time, there was a few at the pub, and um, I stepped up to have a go. We went outside, put our hands up and stuff. And he meant he dropped a name, and I knew who he meant. Um, so I called my dad because he was. I thought if these blokes do show up, I'm in for it. They're going to kick my head in. Um, so I called my dad, and he he showed up. He was waiting outside, and the bouncers were outside. And my dad pulls up, and I see this big mop of dark curly hair, and I think, is that my mum? He's picked my mum up and brought her to here to sort it out. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Turned out it wasn't. There's was a man called Pat McCann. He was an ex-light um, heavyweight boxing champion from that area, very notorious. And he got out, but by that time, the bloke had scarpered. And um, he asked me what happened. He said, what happened? I told him, I said, we'll come outside, went toe-to-toe, put our hands up. And he stopped me and said, you should have just fucking smacked him. Never mind all that shit. Knock him out. From that point on, I've never hesitated. I've got to admit, I felt stupid when he told me that, you know. But um, we had to. We actually went back the next night to see this bloke because once we pulled, and he was the night he came out, he was crazy, like really hyped up. I'm glad we didn't catch that bloke to tell you the truth, you know. When we went back, the bouncers were saying, "Was that a Pat McCann that you brought last night?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Who's that other bloke? That Greek-looking bloke?" I said, "It's my dad." They were like pleading me not to bring them back, but it was out of my control at that point. I was only a kid, you know. But um, it was stuff like that all the time. Were you as big as you are now back then? Did you grow early? No, I've always been pretty big. And did you just find fighting a nat- to be a natural ability? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a few of us, there's always a few people from a, from a school or whatever who are into that kind of thing, you know, as the other kids are not. But we were just, we were terrible. That's all we ever did. And did you have any situations with the cops in the UK? No, not before I went to America. I mean, I never got arrested, almost got arrested for fights and stuff, like in Watford and that, where they were sharp with the, the dogs outside. It was a nightmare, you know? Yeah. Um, but I never actually got arrested for fighting. A few of my friends did at the time, but I was always lucky in that respect. But yeah. So your brother's roofing company, how was that going in Texas in, in the 90, early 90s? Um well, he went over there and he started working for a roofing company, a big roofing company, and then within a year or so, he was self-employed. He's, he's built that into a big business now, a commercial roofing company. And did you go out there to join him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was your idea of Texas before you went? Had you seen anything about it? Well, I thought it was all tumbleweeds, you know? Because <laughs> you go to the travel agent, you, you get a catalogue out, and it just it would show like a tumbleweed and a road sign with bullet holes in it. But when you get to... Dallas and Denton, where I, I was, it's actually quite built up. You, you, you do have that deserty type thing, but you've yeah. got real built up metropolitan scent. It's nice. It's quite you know? breathtaking, isn't it? Of the sun out on the southwest. Yeah. And the big high rise buildings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got off the plane, what was your impression? Um, everything's enormous, so wide and spread out after coming from here. It's massive. Oh, like the same, the roads, the houses, yeah. the cars, yes. everything. The people even, the people? Texas, massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it is nice though. It's extremely hot, as you know, especially doing roofing. <laughs> Did you ever get to Arizona? That's almost no. 50 degrees in the summer. Never went to Arizona, but I have heard it's hotter. Than, it's one of the places that's hotter than Texas, but it's drier. Drier, yeah. 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 Texas is pretty humid in North Texas. So how did you settle into Texas? Did you have a work visa? Did you gain employment? Um, I was illegal three months after being there. I went on a... Same here. Yeah, a holiday visa, yeah. whatever they call it, which only lasts for 90 days, and I just stayed. Yeah. My sisters and my mum and dad, they all came as well. 
and they were actually the same way, but my brother, he went and got his green card and he was able to sponsor my mum and dad, so they became legal residents. My sisters got married, so they became legal residents and it was just me. Wow. Illegal the wow. whole time. Yeah, my aunts and uncles were legal, but I was illegal the whole time. Yeah. And work, friends, how did you establish yourself? Well, for the first, probably for the first year, I was I was a bit miserable there because I didn't know anyone. I was young, I was a teenager, but I was 19. Um, and I was almost thinking about going back. I missed all my mates and all the mm. stuff we used to get up to. But then I met a, I went out to watch a rugby game. I was never into rugby. I was never into sports before. But someone, my brother said that there's some English people and Aussies on the team and that. They're always a right laugh. So I went out there. The funny thing is they, they met, someone met me on a sideline and because I'm English, they assumed I could play. So they put me in the next game <laughs> and I was rubbish. <laughs> and looking at me thinking, this English bloke's rubbish. <laughs> a fight kicked off actually and I, I got stuck into that and that was it. <laughs> they liked me after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So was there any like expat pubs like in Phoenix? There's the Georgian Dragon. Yeah, all over the place. There was one that I used to um, in a place called Addison near Dallas, yeah. called the Londoner, yeah. and he was actually from North London himself. The owner. That was fun. We used to go watch the football games in that. And you have American ladies stopping in who appreciate British accents. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's not why I moved to America at all. <laughs> I, ne I never got tired of that. I've got to admit. Brilliant. So why did you start doing martial arts? Um, well, I, I, was, I was into rugby. Um, I think my nephew went down to start doing jiu-jitsu back before jiu-jitsu was cool. Um, and my brother, he, used to, he had a judo background from when he was here. Um, we just started training ourselves and ended up entering a couple of tournaments in the beginner's category for a Carlos Machado tournament. I enjoyed jiu-jitsu, but I don't know. It's not. I'm not really that much into grappling, to tell you the truth. It's, it's a great sport. Um, I was always 50-50, you know. I won a couple of medals, but, yeah. And did you do any Thai boxing? No, I've done a bit of boxing with a Thai boxer um, and another, an English bloke, actually, who came from Shrewsbury on a rugby tour. And he, he ended up coming back and staying for six months. We used to do quite a bit of sparring and stuff. He used to beat the hell out of me, really. He was good. Yeah. So you tried to employ the British straightener yeah. method to the bars of Texas. So for the American audience then, do you want to just describe what a British straightener would entail first? Well, I mean, you have a problem with a, someone in a bar here in a fight, you stand up, you go outside, you straighten it out with your fists, you know? Like old, old school, that's what you do. And the beef is squashed. Yes. Now, in America, or I shouldn't say in America, there's such a vast place where I was in North Texas... It's not so much like that. Now, I've wondered for years why they're not so quick to fight with their fists there, right? But I kind of think it might be something to do with you get in trouble and you, get, you have to pay a lot of money to get out of jail. So over the years, maybe just it took the fight out of people because I got arrested and it cost me, you know, um, two grand to get out one day and this and that. Um, they just seem to do a lot of push and shoving from what I remember and shouting. So when I went there, someone, they can be extremely mouthy, you know? Um, and another thing, you'd be sat at the bar, from what I found, with a girl. You could be there for two hours, and there's a man on the other side of the bar. Been seeing you sat there. As soon as you go to the bathroom or the toilet, he's sat in your seat talking to her. The Brits don't do that for for the most part. So, and they nickname me Jealous Shellis because of this. But not jealousy, is it? It's about respect. All he knows is my wife. 
So you'd end up having a punch-up. But then people think you're an animal over there for doing stuff like that. In that particular place, I was anyway. And it kind of, it was getting worse and worse, just like it was when I was young here, fighting all the time in the pubs and clubs and out on the street. And it was getting a bit silly. Um, it's probably worse. If I was to do it now, I'd probably get shot, you know, But because um, so many more people are carrying guns. But it did, I did have so many punch-ups there. So how long were you, did your bar brawling days last for? Well, from a teenager here up until... I stopped going to the bars when I started getting involved in all the bad stuff, which yeah. was about 20... How old was I? About 25, yeah. 25 is when I started all that. I stopped going to the bars so much. So with the bar brawls in Texas then, did you evade the police? Yes. Um, yeah, I've got so many stories about stuff like that. One, one time I had... It, was, it used to get really bad when British friends visited me. You know, that could have been, right? We go out. Um, and <laughs> These are your bar brawling friends. Yes, we'd, we'd go out. But the thing is, because only because they're so mouthy. Like one particular time, a friend of mine was was in the toilet having a piss in the urinal, and it was and one of them was filling up. So he says to the bloke, I wouldn't piss in there, mate. It's filling up. It'll go over your shoes. He turns around and says, what did you say to me, you Australian bitch? To my mate. So my mate just nutted him and caused a big, big punch up. And I got um, kicked out of a load of bars that night and the, what do they call it, the police thing. They, they got us in a car park and they gave us a thing to sign so we couldn't go back in there. Did you play the tourist card? The yes, all the time. Yeah, 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 we did that as well. And then they love the accent so much. Sometimes the coppers would be like, oh, where are you from? That's cool. I served yeah, time with yeah, some British soldiers. Shit, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Like wild men would just walk the streets drinking alcohol, yeah. which is illegal. Yeah. And they'd pull him over for, I don't know, jaywalking with alcohol or some shit. And um, he'd be like, yeah, I'm just visiting from England, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In the beginning, that's how he managed to get out of yeah. trouble. But as the trouble got heavier, it's hard to yeah. get out of. When they start running your name, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So the business was going well and life mm -hmm. was good. But then we had the 9-11 situation. Yeah. How did that change your life? Well, I, I believe it, it put... America in a recession, or it did as far as the building industry, something put an American recession, it happened at the same time, that's all I'm gonna say. Because we had jobs scheduled before that happened, and then customers straight after saying, nope, we're gonna wait a while, we're gonna hold on to our money. So I believe people just got scared and held on to their money, they wasn't sure what was gonna happen. Uncertainty. Yeah, um, and the, a lot of people, a lot of roofers, a lot of builders went out of business. And I remember sitting around for weeks, having nothing, it was really bad. Um, I mean, I didn't didn't know what else. I, all I know is roofing, you know. Um, I just bought a house. I was probably 23 when I bought a four-bedroom house. And then this happened. Um, actually, 9-11 happened before I bought my house. That's right. But then I got it because I didn't realise how it was going to hit, you know. Nice big four-bedroom house. Yeah, it was so cheap. And when you're talking a house in America, you're talking a house. Yeah. Like, you see these properties in London that are worth millions? Yeah, Americans would look at that as like a shed. Yeah, wouldn't they? It was a big house. Yeah, so cheap. What was the square foot? It was about four thousand square feet. Four thousand square foot. When I say detached, you couldn't even throw a rock on the house next door. You know. Yeah, it was. It was huge. Yeah, you know? that'd be like millions in in like these pushers of London. That yeah. would be multi millions, wouldn't it? I had to get owner finance because I couldn't get a mortgage, obviously. So I just I paid a deposit to a bloke that owned it and just made payments that way. The thing is, America's so big. 
You can get these houses for nowhere near the prices of London, can't you? Oh, it, it was it was a fraction yeah, of the prices. Really cheap. Yeah, yeah. So you're mortgaged up to the hilt. Nine mm-hmm. eleven happens. Mm-hmm. Now you're thinking, I got to pay my bills. Yes. Yeah, I so was what, so what, desperate. How how were you tempted into the Walter White lifestyle? <laughs> now, I, I I was friends with a guy. I can't remember how I met him. He was a young lad. Um, Actually, he was from Singapore, um, and he had got involved with some stuff. But I, I was totally against drugs at the time. I had never touched anything. I'd only ever had a beer, not even smoked a joint or any of that stuff. Always been against drugs. Um, but he had convinced me he can at least double whatever money I've got within a day. Um, and I, I didn't know what it, I didn't even know what meth was. To tell you the truth, I, I don't even remember knowing anything about it. Do you know what speed was? Yeah, but hardly. Any, my knowledge of any kind of drugs was nothing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, understood it was a uh, type of speed. Um, so this guy, I, I said, all right then, let's see what you can do. Um, I can't remember how much I invested. It wasn't much, maybe a few hundred dollars. Um, so he introduced me to this biker bloke who is obviously a big part of the story. Um, we actually went to, um, I think I'd met him. He introduced me to him and he said, come to the, the titty bar, the strip club, uh, tonight. So we went one to One of this... Wild Man's favourite places. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of mine as well, actually. Um, yeah. In fact, yeah. So we went to this um, strip club and he was in there and I believe he was. He must have been selling some stuff to the girl in there. Actually, I knew, I knew one of the girls in there um, myself, the same girl. And um, he'd sold us some stuff. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, but I handed it back to my friend after that. In fact, him, this um, biker. What, bloke, did the, what did the biker look like? Real heavy step, stocky, big, big forearms, fully tattooed, fully sleeved. Um, looked like a biker. You yeah. Know? Like a hell's angel. A real big gravelly voice. And um, real friendly, though. Um, he had all the spider webs on his hands and stuff. Um but they came back to my house because I'd, I'd built a, like, a, um, like a British pub in the first living room, <laughs> you know, with all the dark oak and stuff. But the Americans would buzz off that. Yeah, they loved it. We come back and had a drink, and that's actually when he um, sold us some stuff. And after that, I handed it back to my other friend, and he sold it for me, and I doubled my money. Like $800 went to 1600 I thought, that's better than roofing. Yeah, 100%. Just like yeah. That. How many days did it take to move it? Uh, it was like within two days. Within two days. Get money back, yeah. That's it then. Once you had a taste of that money, yes. Um, and I still, I still wasn't getting involved, and um, but I was handing the money over to him, and he was coming back and giving me a good profit, and I, I wasn't even doing anything. This went on and on, um, and then one day, so it was actually the girl who worked at the the stripper that worked at the strip club. I went there on my own one night. Got drunk, got really drunk. We ran up back, me and her coming back to my house. And she handed me a capsule, okay? Now, because of my naivety of drugs, I knew it was some kind of drugs, but I was so drunk. I mean, that's why. She said, yeah, take this. I said, why? She said, it'll make you feel good. It's, just saying this now makes me think, uh-oh, you know? If I could turn back the clock. But, so I took it. And to tell you the truth, I didn't feel, I don't remember feeling high, but I do remember being up for about four days. Holy shit. And being in a really good mood. 
I didn't realise what I'd really taken, but I took it a few more times and then ended up smoking it. Was it a capsule of meth? It was a capsule of meth, yeah. I had no idea what it was and how bad it was. But I'd always, and the funny thing was, up until that point, I convinced myself um, I don't have an addictive personality because I've never touched drugs, never done any of that stuff. But first time you do it, you feel superhuman, don't you? Yes. Don't need to sleep, don't need to eat, yeah. you just accomplish anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, the side effects mm-hmm. creeping over time yeah. and the, the, the benefit, the the feeling of well-being goes down over time that's right but we're going to get to that <laughs> so how are you finding your customers um well he knew so many people because he, he grew up there um he came for, he moved to america when he was young this lad um so i was, I was still knocking about with this lad and selling to people he knew so is he um, selling it for you you're only going he, through him up to, to that keep point it safe. up to that point so there's like a barrier then between you and the customers. Yeah. But then I started meeting some people myself. In fact, I didn't like the, I think he was selling it to younger people right around his age, who, who you know, like early 20s and stuff. But people like that, they, they can't handle it. It's a terrible, terrible drug. Okay. But I then started talking to that biker guy and he introduced me to some people. The people that he used to sell to were these old timers who have been doing it since the 70s, good as gold, um, Never make a fuss, never even been arrested. They're just um, tweaking their garages on, you know, fixing motorbikes and stuff. And that's the type of clientele that I wanted because it didn't seem to harm them. I mean, I know it's not a good drug, it's terrible. But as far as all the young people, it's a, I stayed away from all of that stuff. So are you taking security precautions? Mm-hmm. Like, are you keeping customers away from your house? Like, have people dropping off at their locations? Not talking on the phone, or are you naive to protocol it? No, I took to it like a duck to water as far yeah. as all the security. I, I, there's just one thing I was good at. Um, I was always paranoid about stuff, and, and it wasn't just the drugs. Um, paranoid in a good way. Yeah. Um, some people would say, oh, this person wants to meet you. Are you mad? I don't want to meet him. You meet him. Or forget it, I just won't make the sale. Um, after a while, because I, I actually bought and sold way more than I ever made. Um, and at the time, at that time, it was a lot of the Mexican stuff, the actual crystals, the crystal meth. Um, there's a difference between what I made and that. Well, that does come under the same thing. It's, it's both crystal meth. Um, but yeah, I was, so I was, I was selling, I was, I was being as careful as I could. Um, and the people I was meeting through this biker bloke were better clients. Yeah. So what was the... Like, there's usually like a sales uh, gimmick in the meth community where like, yeah, man, we got the lemon drop, it's the bomb. We've got the pink champagne. Did did you have like a particular sales uh, techniques with stuff like that? Are, are you- bathtub crank. Yeah. Got some cheap bathtub crank right here. Well, that's the stuff. Actually, I used to get this stuff from the Mexicans, from the cartels in Dallas. Yeah. And I used to, I used to call it rainbow dope. Rainbow dope. Because it would change sales. colors. As, as it was going, it was real pure, extremely strong. Yeah. And it would change colours as it was melting, like violet and blue and all these weird colours. Wow. So I used to call it rainbow dope. And another time I got a, a green batch, which I was buying, and I called it shamrock dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People went crazy over that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they put food colouring in it, don't they, to give I it I think a... on the green one they did. Yeah. They must have. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what they did. Yeah. So how did you learn... That your guy 
was a full-fledged AB member. Okay, there was... And that's the biker, right? Yes, this is the biker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, he never really talked about it much. And when the funny thing is, when he did mention it, he would call it the Masons. And at first, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I asked someone else, he said, no, he's talking about the, the AB, the Brotherhood. And um, a few people have told me, and I I guess I, I spoke to him about it at some point, and he did tell me. And But the thing he told me was, he's one of the only few in that part of the country on paper. Um, I'm not sure what that entirely means. Um, Certified. Right. He said, because so many people come out of jail and they're all claiming to be AB, Aryan Circle, Aryan this and that. But, I mean, they might be part of something, and they are dangerous, but they're not part of what he says is the true Aryan Brotherhood, who have actually got morals and rules to their thing, because all these other ones are just junkies, you know? Um, and he was a force to be reckoned with. He was definitely a serious character. Um, sometimes in, like stuff got stolen or people got robbed or beaten up. He would make phone calls and find out if the certain people that we found were who did it, he, what, first thing he wanted to find out, are they affiliated? And if they're not, we're going to sort it out. I had to go with him on some of these things, you know. But he was very quiet about it. He, he never bragged about any of that stuff. Um, in fact, one guy was trying to threaten him over the phone once, saying, yeah, I'm, I'm AB, come around here. He didn't say nothing. He just went around there and dealt with him, you know. He didn't. He never mentioned it. Were you with him on that one? I was. What happened? Well... He said someone was mouthing off to him because sometimes these youngsters, when they get into, they like you said, they get these massive heads and they think they're unstoppable. And he was mouthing off at my friend and um, he told me because he said, there's going to be a few people there. Let's go there, we'll sort them out. But we went there, or he went there first and he said that the place is hot. He said, we can't go there. They're being watched. They're so damn stupid they don't even realise it. Um, and this was going on for like a couple of weeks and he kept checking, kept checking. And um, as soon as the police left, we went running through the door and just beat the shit out of half of them in there. But most of them, they, they don't want to fight. They're just junkies. When they saw me and him coming through the door, they didn't want to know. Carrying like a little pussy, you know. Any other missions you went on with him? Oh, where do I start? Um, we were always kicking in doors and doing something. Like, a lot, we'd done, I'd done a lot of debt collecting with him. And the funny thing was, when I went back, there's another guy... Um, his name was Eddie. I can say his name because he's gone now. But he used to do it with us, another big bloke. And um, real real solid bloke. But when I went back the second time and met up with my friend again, I said, how's Eddie doing? They said, well, they found his thigh bone. They found his thigh bone. He was, like, murdered and chopped up. Holy shit. Yeah. So we used to do a lot of um, stuff like that. What was the hurriest situation you went in um, during that period of time? Well, um, with him or... By myself. Either? Well, one of them, one of the stories that I remembered to write when I wrote to you was, I guess, two guns being pulled on me in one day. Um, I was doing... I had a girlfriend who had land, okay, like 30 acres, and people used to use her property, you know, away from her house and stuff, to cook batches. Um, now, this was going on before I met her, but there was a lot of scumbags she knew because... Her ex-boyfriend was an ex-con. So these people used to show up on the property, right tattooed cons, thinking they're really hard. Most of them are not hard. I don't care what anyone says. Compared to Brits, they're not like us. They're a lot of provider and they will shoot you stone dead. But they would show up and um, they'd pull down this long driveway. And sometimes, at first, they didn't know how to take me because, you know, I dressed kind of smart compared to them. They'd have been cut off T-shirts and tattoos. I've got no tattoos. 
and they would just think I, I was weak because I've got an English accent. That's how they think of us. And um, one particular time, I'll move on to the hairy situation in a minute, but one particular time, for an example, this guy had named Tattooed Nick, right piece of shit. Tattoos everywhere, all up here. Um, he was an ex-con, he was known for shooting people. But he was a horrible bloke. And um, I'm stood there outside fixing, doing some carpentry or something. And he pulls up, goes straight past me, just bangs on the door. I'm like, he knows I'm a boyfriend. Bangs on the door. He looks at me and said, Kerry there? I said, yeah. Goes in. She comes to the door and I'm looking at him like, is he mad? He got, you know what I mean? It's very disrespectful. So I said to her, I thought you weren't allowing bump monkeys over here anymore, which means um, people that shoot up meth. And he looked at me and he said, what'd you say, motherfucker? I'm like, what are you talking to? I didn't say nothing. I just walked up to him, crap, knocked him out. Knocked him out cold. But what I didn't realise was her dad was inside, who was a, um, a pastor, really nice man. He was doing something, so I didn't know he was in the house. And I got on top of this bloke and I hit him again, which actually woke him up, which was weird. I've never seen that before. And her dad come out with a shaky voice saying, what's going on? And I felt really bad. But um, he got up and said, by the time he got up, with wobbly legs and stuff, he said, you never leave Gainesville alive. Well, it's just bullshit, isn't it? Um, so another time, we were doing... There was a guy that she knew. I'm sure they were messing about behind my back. Um, he was a proper piece of shit. He, but he was actually trained by my biker friend to cook this stuff. Um, and the stuff that we, we cooked wouldn't come in crystal form. It's an actu actually a Nazi recipe. Um, it was developed back then, as you can read up about it. Um, but that's the type of stuff we used to um, make. I won't go into the ingredients. So my girlfriend at the time who had this property, where people used to come out and batch off, as we say, um, she was... Is this the stripper? No, okay. this, was, this wasn't the stripper. Um, it's just some girl I met through, because she used to sell stuff herself. And there, there there's rules, there's unwritten rules. Uh, men deal with men, women deal with women. If you were to go and ask my girlfriend for stuff or whatever, that's bad news, you don't do that. You've got to deal with it. Um, but she was talking to some guy who was a right snake, who my friend had trained to do to cook, but he'd, he'd gone off him. He, f he fell out with him. Well, he was going behind my back, trying to mess about with her. God knows what was going on. It was a stupid life. People were stupid, so I kind of tried not to get annoyed. But I used to go out of town a lot, working. And um, I came back one day early, and I looked in the woods near her house, and there's a whole... There's a um, propane tanks, uh, gas tanks, um, beakers, and ingredients to do a batch of meth sitting by the house which I couldn't believe because when you're a dope cook you've got to be really covert you don't leave batches outside the house you know you could get in a lot of trouble for it um, so I saw it and then she come home down the driveway and I knew she was going to call him to warn him and I was fuming he'd already pissed me off a couple of times up until that point and um, I knew it was his so I stuck to her like glue for like 30 minutes I knew she was going to try and call him she was a bit sneaky like that. But I wasn't having it because although there was no kids there, but she had kids at the house, not at that time because um, people were batching off. But so I, wait, I, I was waiting with her the whole time. She knew what I was doing. She's all nervous. And then he pulled down the drive. And I, I was fuming because I could have got done. I mean, if she had got, she had got arrested, I would have took the charge. And it's a massive charge. You can get life in prison for it. The fact that he left it there just still still baffles me you know but um 
So I waited for him to get out of the van. I approached him out of the truck and I approached him. I said, what the fuck's going on? You've got a batch sitting right there or whatever. You've got all this stuff sitting right there. And he, he immediately, because I'd had a reputation for fighting, he immediately got scared and he kicked me in the leg. I don't know why. He must have learned some or read it in a book, I don't know, some kind of self-defence thing. I started laughing. I said, we want to do some kung fu. And I started chasing him around the truck. But he was like trying to catch a chicken. So he wasn't a big bloke. A scorny fucker. I was chasing him, chasing him. And by the time I grabbed hold of him, he called his mate to get out of the truck. And he said, I can't remember how he worded it, but he meant, get the gun. It was a revolver. Um, and I looked over at his mate, who was a few feet away, but because I'd grabbed hold of him, I pulled him to, towards me and moved to the other bloke, grabbed the gun out of this bloke's hand and smacked both of them, knocked them both out, or knocked them both down. Um, now, I will say, if that lad had wanted to shoot me, I'd have been dead. If the other bloke had got the gun, without a doubt, he would have shot me stone dead. But I was lucky enough that that lad who he was with hesitated, so I was able to grab the gun. So I grabbed the gun, clipped them both, let them get up, and because I wasn't sure, because her parents lived on the same property, like on the other end, I didn't want to make a big commotion. So I kind of let him go. I said, well, you're not getting a gun back. You can fuck off. I really wanted to hurt him, but I wasn't sure. And there's gunplay now, and it kind of, some people th think it's a bit stupid that, you know, I, I didn't get more mad, but it's weird. I can't explain it. I've hurt people way less, but I just wanted them out of there. Plus, there's a bloody meth lab sitting in the woods. I've got to, I've got to do something with it, you know, and he wasn't going to take it. And um, so I took his gun, sent him on their way. Then about half an hour later, another truck pulls down the driveway. And um, this big burly bloke gets out, big like a Grizzly Adams looking bloke with a beard. And then this piece of shit was with him. The other lad didn't come back. He obviously didn't want to come back. He shit himself. But um, so I met him. I walked away from the house. I met him in the woods between the gate and the house. And I stopped him. And they got out. And... Um, this, the driver, the Grizzly Adams bloke, got out with a shotgun this time, but he wasn't within any um, range for me to steam into him. And it's the closest I've ever been to being scared, I would say. I was like, apprehensive, nervous, because I couldn't do anything about it, because he's, he's pointing a bloody gun at me half hour after someone pulling a gun at me before. I didn't know what else to do. If I'd moved towards him, he would have took my head off. And um, I remember afterwards thinking... If that had happened to me, it would destroy my parents, especially with what happened to my dad's dad, you know. So I ended up trying to talk the bloke down, saying, why don't you, put, why don't you be a man, if you're a man's man, because he was, he was a man's man, you know, proud Texan, whatever. I said, put the gun down and fight me like a man instead of being a pussy pointing a gun at me. Well, it worked. <laughs> yeah, and that piece of shit was trying to circle around with a clump of wood as well. I could see him like that and I thought, I would love to take your head off, mate. But I was concentrating on him with a gun. And um, by the time he put the gun down, this bloke kind of shit himself and he put the stick down. I thought, you're fucking right. And I steamed into this big bloke. He couldn't fight for shit. He was rubbish. You know, some of them just can't fight. And I kind of took it easy on him and stepped back off again. And we went up back up to the house. And I was all right with him after that, that big bloke, that other wormy little bastard. I really wanted to get hold of him. In fact, I'd like to get hold of him today, but it never happened. But I ended up giving him the pistol back, I took the rounds out and gave it back to him. That's where people think I'm a bit like, they don't understand it. I can't explain it. That's just what I did. I give it back to him. They were on their way. I became friends with that Grizzly Adams bloke after that. Because, um, you know, I don't know, you just... In the tradition of British straighteners. Yes, in the tradition <laughs> of British straighteners. 
and three, three blokes out of that day <laughs> and two guns pulled on me. <laughs> but that was a bit of a hairy situation, I suppose. Now I look back at it, at the time I didn't think anything of it, you know? So how did this escalate then from you being a distributor of meth to a manufacturer of meth? So after a while, you know, things, they dry up and they get difficult to get older stuff and when they do a big bust on the border, you know, so many things affect getting being able to get hold of drugs. I started to get to know this AB bloke better and um, he he started teaching me how to cook the way they do it with that Nazi recipe. Um, went over to his house a few times and um, I started learning to cook through him. And when I, whenever I was around him, he, was always, he knew so many people. He was so calm. I was always a bit of a nutcase, especially on that stuff. But he, he had everything. Why? Because he knew everyone. And um, he, he showed me who to sell it to, um, especially oil rig workers. They, they were the best. They would just throw money at you and it'd be gone in no time. And it never really affected them either. They were just nuts, you know, when they got off work. They never got hooked on us. Nothing like that with them lot. But um, so we started cooking it. Um, and after that, I went with a few different people and done some batches myself. Um, one particular time, I was with him. Now, it was always, because uh, he, he didn't like making his place hot. We did it at his house a few times, but sometimes we'd lay off and we'd go somewhere else. I always moved about a lot myself. I'd be in one county one week and another county another, so they couldn't quite pin me down. Um, How'd you choose a spot? I mean, um, that stuff's toxic. Yes. It takes days. There's explosions sometimes. Yeah. How how do you find a spot that you can accommodate that? He, I think I, I knew a guy. He had like a hundred acres, or he was looking after a hundred acres. Um, there's loads of stuff on this place. There's old like train carriages and barns and stuff. It was a really interesting place. And I spoke to the guy that was running it. He's mutual friends with both of us, and he said, um, in fact, his name was Bubba. You know, um, typical Bubba name in Texas. From Texas. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, you come out and do it. Come out to my place. Uh, whatever night that was and you can batter off there because sometimes it's, it's better to have electric um, sometimes you use battery operated stuff to help you do whatever you've got to do um, but it's always best to have light and stuff um, so <laughs> the thing is actually this was the first batch I'd done with him okay so I showed up at my friend's house first before we went over there now I used to try and be <laughs> all covert so I I got all this camouflage stuff on a leaf suit I had and I used to keep a compass, a pistol. I always have a pistol there. I don't know why. I don't know what I was going to do with it, but you get caught up in it all, didn't you? And I used to have um, all kinds of stuff to, in case I had to escape, in case it all came, you know, on top. So I show, I show up at his house and I've got this bloody camo from head to toe, knock on his door. He opens the door, looks at me up and down and bursts out laughing. He's just there in his Harley Davidson t-shirt and jeans. He said, what are you doing? I don't know. Isn't that how we do it? He said, no, dude. You're just going to bring heat on us driving there. So, yeah, I felt a bit stupid off that. I had to get changed. So we went out to the property. And um, we, what, we, when we do the stuff, it's all, we turn it into the liquid without going into too many details. Turn it into the liquid. Um, and then it needs another process Later on, you can normally do it in the same day, but I think daylight was coming or something stopped us doing it for that night. So we left. I think we might have left it a day or two, or maybe it was a day, because we went back to his house, slept, and then we were ready to go do it again and finish it off. And someone had called us or showed up at the house and said, listen, he's gassed your product, meaning he's taken all the finished product out of the liquid, so you're left with an empty liquid, meaning like there's five grand's gone. 
you know, of, of finished what product. This? That's what the word was. So he looked at me, my friend. I'm trying not to say his name, my AB friend. But um, he looked at me. He said, right, we better go. So we get up. We're on the way there. And on the way there, he looks at me and goes, if he's done it, we're going to shoot him. And I'm thinking, because well, he's a friend of ours. We don't know if he's done it yet. That's when I thought, this is too much. I mean, can't we just give him a beating if he has done it? He's only, he's only nicked stuff off us. Why are we going to kill him? And he would have killed him, dead, stone dead. But the stupid thing was I was going along with it because I was so crazy at the time and stupid. Um, but I was nervous about thinking, but I hope he hasn't. I really hope he hasn't. We get there, go to the gate, he lets us in. And he, he always looked nervous, this bloke anyway, this, this other Switchy. bloke. Yeah. I think you better not have, mate, please. And Because um, this time, my AB friend had pulled his pistol, he put, tucked it in his belt. And I, I was sure that we were going to end up killing this bloke. Um, anyway, we get there, we check the liquid, do what we're doing. And then we see that there's still, he hasn't taken anything out of it and it done what it's supposed to do. And I've never had so much relief in my life. And to this day, that bloke don't realise how close he come. So someone was trying to set him up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because there's so many rats and scumbags out there all hating each other, you know? Yeah. They, they wouldn't have thought twice if we killed him. It's like the okie dokie in prison, isn't it? When someone says to you, that guy over there just called you a punk. Yeah. You need to handle your business. Yeah. But really, that guy's that guy's enemy, and he just wants you yeah, to go and do his fucking dirty work. Of course. Yeah. They just want yeah. to see some action, or, or they just hate the bloke, one of the two. Yeah. It's terrible. So Bubba was all good. All good, thank God. But I realised now, he, he did not want to do something. But then you can't, if someone's a junkie, you can't trust them anyway. No matter if they're scared of you or not, they'll do some crazy things. Um, but he was quite solid, that bloke. He, now looking back on it, he wouldn't have done it. Did you have any mishaps while cooking? No. Uh, no mishaps. Um, Did you have to wear protective gear? You are supposed to. See, I, I would take all the um, gloves and stuff, rubber gloves, and but then I, just get, <laughs> I used to get laughed at, so I just stopped doing it. Um, but plus, the thing is, you don't want to be dressed in all that stuff in case the, pl the police show up through the woods or something, you start seeing flashlights or torches. You just want to like run off and mingle. If you've got... If you're dressed up like you've been in the woods or you've got protective gear on, forget it. It's so difficult, you know. You want to find a remote place um, where you can see people coming from quite a mile away, you know, quite far away, so you can just get out there and do your thing. If you've not got protective gear on, are you absorbing it? Are you getting high whilst manufacturing? I wouldn't say so, no. 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 But um, like I said, with this Nazi recipe, I'm not sure. I'm, it might be a little bit different. But I know it's dangerous because... Um, that guy who had his friend pull a gun on me that day, he lost an eye with an explosion. Because um, you're not supposed to put it in certain tanks. It's very dangerous stuff. It's terrible. Wow. Mm -hmm. The girl and her boyfriend was driving her little crappy car. Mm. Against my best judgment, we got pulled over. What happened there? So I was at my friend's house. In fact, this would have been before I fell out with this other guy who pulled a gun on me because he was at my AB friend's house and they were batching off at the time um, and they asked me to go pick up some more ingredients so I went with this uh, actually it was this it was the stripper in her car and her boyfriend at the time um, so we went in her crappy little car which I would never have done that but I'd, I must have been awake for a couple of days I wasn't thinking straight you know so we went to this town um, and we, we went what we call shopping for certain ingredients. Now, you're always careful not to have too many different ingredients with you at once because you can get done for manufacturing. 
Um, so I was smart about that. But when we got pulled over, we'd already had some ingredients, which was at that moment was legal to have because we had a certain amount of ingredients to it each, you know. So I didn't have too many of one thing. But they had some pipes in the um, car, which I didn't realise, with finished product in it, which they had been smoking. And um, But I did have them out shopping for me, so it's all down to me, you know. Now, they searched her first. They got her out of her car, um, and they put her on the curb, I think. They sat down on the curb, and then they took my friend out, and they sat him on the curb. And the whole time, they had gone through... They would, I think they'd searched her and they took some stuff out of the car. Um, me, meanwhile, there was a, a drink, a sports drink. So I took their pipes because they had pipes. They were stuffing them behind us. Just give them to me. I mean, I'm going to get done here anyway. Just give me whatever you got. So I washed everything off. They, they stuffed bags. I was like, geez, I wouldn't have got in a car if I'd known that. But I washed everything out. I did have some scales on me, which was stupid. I shouldn't have had them with me. I washed them off, drenched everything in this red liquid. Everything was just soaked. And, um, <laughs> Good thinking. Yeah. And, um, but apparently that's bad because if there's any traces of that stuff in the liquid, they weigh it. And it's... And the liquid, yes. total volume then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. And I saw people in prison who um, had too many ingredients on them while they were on a bicycle, mm. got pulled over and then got charged with running a mobile meth lab. Yeah. Looking at they serious They would throw time. the book at you. In max security in the... Um, Madison Street Jail. My soulmate was a meth cook, and he was facing a lot of time because he had priors. Yeah, they don't mess around with no. Yeah, if you get caught with that shit. Yeah, that's why. Actually, my AB friend, he stopped. He's living a good life now. Um, cause he was on a three counts and you're out thing. Yeah. If he got done the third time. Wow. But um, yeah, back to this um, arrest. So they they pulled some stuff out, and they. I remember I was still sat in the car. Unless I was in their patrol car at this point, I can't remember. But my AB friend had given me some jeans because they were too big for him. He hadn't worn them. And they were washed. I checked the pockets. I remember checking the pockets. And they just come out the laundry. And they were in the back of the, her car. And they took them out. And from what I remember back then, because I'm sure this is exactly, I'm sure it's how it happened because I've been telling a story like this since the day I got arrested. Back then, I'm sure it was um, video cameras that they used to use to film what they were doing. And above, like near the rearview mirror, from what I remember, were tape cassettes that they used to film from. Um, now, they'd gone to this pair... No, I must have been in the patrol car by now. So they've, they'd gone to the pair of jeans, and they'd already put... They, they searched through them, and I saw them put them back, because nothing in them. But they took out all the ingredients that we'd bought, and all this other stuff that's dripping with, you know, there's pipes and scales and stuff. And they're saying, right... We know what you're doing. We want three names. And I just, I didn't say, and I didn't even acknowledge what they were talking about. I never do. I said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm a roofer. What do you do? I'm a roofer. Where'd you get your supplies? From so-and-so roofing supply. And I was pissing them off. And they said, look, all we want is three names. You know, you, you can get done for manufacturing here with this and that. They kept going on and on and on. And they were getting angry. My friend was sat down. She, I think she was already in cuffs next to me, I think. She must have been. But her boyfriend was just sitting on the curb. He hadn't he hadn't done nothing wrong because I took their stuff and claimed it. But um, I think she had a warrant out. That's why they arrested her. So when I when they finally decided I wasn't going to say anything or give up any names, meanwhile, this whole time, my friend and the guy he was training was 
batching off, you know. Um, so they went back to the pair of jeans and they they took the jeans out. They like hunched over, pretended to go in the pocket and take out this bag and they took a bag out with stuff that they'd already decided wasn't in the jeans before. And it's all being filmed and they kept... And I, I said, hang on a minute. I was trying to say it out loud. I wasn't sure if there was microphones, but I wanted to... That's what I remember doing. I said, you just went... You've already put those jeans back, decided that they were clean, and now all of a sudden you're pulling out these something from it. And they give me like a dirty look, and then they took the tape out. And they three times they messed about with this tape, right? Twice and then another time. And the third time I was saying more stuff like this. Why did you decide all of a sudden to go back to a pair of jeans and this and that? And um, I pissed them off by then, you know? I was going to jail anyway. And they put the jeans back and... Um, so I got arrested. I was on the way to jail. Um, they stopped halfway there and they said, listen, just give us two names in. They don't have to give us three, give us two. I'm like, names of who? I don't know what you're talking about. Just take me to jail. Because at that point, it was only um, legal ingredients that I had. The other stuff was all washed off. Um, so there, was no, there wouldn't have been any residue on anything. So we get to jail. I remember we go to the, the county, go in, and there's a chair with... Uh, straps and stuff on sitting right there in front of everyone restraint chair restraint chair yeah and um, in front of everyone in the in the um, where they process you he says right you've got one more chance you could do life you could do 30 years or life um, for this tell us one name I'm like well if I was ever going to tell you I'm not going to do it here am I um, so that was it they, they put me in jail and um, put her in jail and like I said I claimed everything so she got out the next day and um the judge the next day, um, when he came, he said, As, you know, we're all standing there, 30 of us, we've all, all been in the holding cell. Um, you, he reads what you've been arrested for. And it was manufacturing and delivery of a controlled substance under a gram. And even the, even the judge said, under a gram? That makes sense. But that was that. We got out $3,800 bail uh, or bond. And um, that was one thing. Um, went to the lawyer and stuff and told him what happened. Um, and he actually said, okay, you do realise that those in that town, those police officers, they've got an internal, internal affairs investigation of planting stuff on people. And he said, I, I want to take it to Washington. I'm like, I don't want to take it to Washington. I'm, he didn't know I was a legal immigrant. You know, I said, look, I just don't want to be charged for it. It went on for months. I just left it. And um, eventually, my lawyer, we got a call from my lawyer and he said... He showed us the form, he printed it up, he said, so-and-so will not be charged for this, whatever, at this time. So I wasn't actually even charged of it because, one, I think I had an actual paid lawyer and not a appointed, and they did not want to push it because there's already investigations over those particular coppers and that police department. They knew it could be a real headache, you know? Yeah. You didn't have a public pretender. No. And they were trying to get you on that tape, but you kept like refreshing the, yes. what had happened on the Every new time. version, didn't you? Yes. So they were screwed. They yeah. like, fucking outsmarted us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, county jails are no joke in the southwestern states. Right. What was the county jail like? Um, and what was it called? Denton County. Denton County. Yeah, Denton County, yeah. Um, and Gainesville County as well. What was, what was it like going in there? not too bad it's a new actually I did the roof on the place a few years oh, before on the, on, the, on the new pods so it's quite it's quite a new building the did you have county. the blueprints yeah that's what, I was, that's what I was thinking like actually you can get through this shoot here now um, 
Kearney wasn't bad. I mean, they put you they put you in the drunk tank. Um, I never even made it back through into the pods. I'd always so bail you got out. out. You got out quite quick. Yeah, but I used to get out quick on purpose because one time I got arrested in in the city jail. The detectives got me, which is another story. Um, and they said, "Do you know?" I forget the name. He was like the chief of police or or something squad. They said, "Sounds Jeff something." So and so, he's going to come see you later. I said, no, bloody ain't. Because they'd never thought for this particular other thing, I would bail out, spend a load of money when I could have spent two days and not cost me anything. But no, he ain't. Because when you then they got you, you never know what they're going to do. More charges and stuff when oh, they got their hands on you. Terrible, isn't it? So Just I always had to get out. It? Yeah. 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 It's scary. But the county jails, I mean, was in there one day in, in county and these two real rednecks got caught with a big load of meth. There's about 30 people in there. And um, there was this young lad who was wetting toilet paper and throwing it up on the thing to stop the cold air coming in because they say they keep it freezing cold, don't they? In, in the county, contra- uh, cold jail is controlled jails, as they say. It's supposed to stop people fighting because you're just sitting there shivering. I know wow. it's different when you get into the pods. But so he was like stuffing his thing up and this bloke in and out of prison, you could tell all these tattoos, he's pacing up and down saying he keeps doing it muttering to himself. He keeps doing this shit, I'm going to knock him out. And um, this kid weren't listening. He, he stuffed. He said, "I don't want to smell your sweaty ass," as he was saying. And he kept doing it, and the bloke just like knocked him out. Bang! Split his eye. It's like we're all like thirty of us in this room size of this, you know. Yeah, but and they, in those rooms. Yeah, yeah. they just let it happen. And it was that point because we was all like we're trying to look out this tiny little slit in the door. All of us like sheep trying to look through, and this bloke comes steaming up to us afterwards to bang on the door. And 29 of them ran to the other side of the field. I thought, what a bunch of pussies. I mean, what's wrong with you people? Stand your ground. I couldn't believe it. I'm stood there on my own thinking, is that it? <laughs> Honestly, it's like, it's just a different breed of people. <laughs> yeah, but they let him out. They put him in another cell, that bloke, after that. <laughs> so this is where the Albanians come into the story now. Mm. Your dad got in a situation. Mm-hmm. We had done a roof on an apartment complex um, for these Albanians. Um, it was a flat roof. Um, we didn't know at the time. We knew some cousins of theirs who had, um, they owned a bar and a restaurant. Um, they introduced us to them actually to do the roof. Now, we didn't know at the time, but they were a notorious family. Uh, the police knew of them. Uh, they were drug dealers apparently um, into all kinds of stuff. You know, uh, brothers and cousins and that. And um, so we had done the roof and they started they were trying to get cocky about not paying us and stuff. Now, my dad, like I said, never took any shit from anyone. Real stocky guy. Only five foot nine, but strong, twice as strong as I've ever even dreamed of being, you know, with big clubs for hands. Now, at the time, he was real ill with diabetes. Um, he'd shrunk, like, half his size, half his strength. And they were mouthing off at him on the phone saying, you fucking Greeks, we're going to stitch you up, we're going to shoot you, this and that. They said it to, to my dad. When he called me and told me about it, and he, back then he wouldn't even called me back then, but he was so ill. He told me what was going on. And I was actually doing a batch in the woods in 30 miles north on the border. So I still had all these stupid camo things on and boots and that. I jumped in the truck and I rushed to the apartment complex. I didn't want, to, I didn't want my dad to get involved because anything could have... He, he was so weak, he could have killed him, you know? So I went to the apartment complex and I went in the um, office... And there was two tenants in there this Albanian bloke was talking to. I was waiting for him to leave. And um, 
as soon as they left, I said, right, whatever you said to my dad, I, did, I didn't actually know exactly what had happened at that point. But I said, you better call him up now and apologise because he's fucking nuts. He won't have it. Because I, I actually didn't know. So I would have been more mad if I'd known what he, they'd actually said. I just knew there was an altercation and my dad was always been a bit crazy and he escalates things. So I said, look, just call my dad up, apologise and it'll be over. And he basically told me to go fuck myself. So I said, hang on a minute. And as I'm saying it, he reaches for the phone and he gets on the phone and I th just thought he called the police, right? Because um, I think I stepped out there and thought, I know, no part of that, you know what I mean? Because you got, over there is bad news, you get nicked. So I, I stepped outside and by that time, my dad had showed up because he had a feeling that I was going straight there and um, he actually showed up with a bum bag, remember them? And I'm like, what's he got that on for? And he showed up and then... The bloke stood there, and I still didn't want to do anything because I think the police were on their way, so I didn't want to hurt the bloke. And then my dad comes out, goes steaming into this bloke. I, I thought I had a bad temper, but my God, my dad went mad, grabbed this bloke by the throat. And then at this point, I hear a car pull up, and I hear three doors shut. I'm thinking, that's it, it's the old Bill. Dad, stop, calm down. Shit, calm down. And then... Um, there's a little alleyway leading into the courtyard because the apartment complex was shaped like that with all the windows facing into a courtyard like you get in the old prison, you know, where the windows look out to the courtyard. And um, But it was three Albanian blokes that he called. It wasn't the cops. So I seen one, the first one coming through and he had a crowbar in his hand. So I ran to the beginning of the front of the alley and there's only like a single fire. You couldn't really get through uh, to abreast. He comes out, I grab hold of a crowbar, I start wrestling with this bloke, and there's two other blokes, I'm looking to see if they got crowbars. I didn't want to start hitting anyone because I didn't want to let go of the crowbar, I didn't know who had what. And I'm wrestling with them, I clipped him, dropped him, and I went to kick him, and then all of a sudden they all ran, right? And I thought they are running from me. There's me thinking I'm so hard that they don't want none of it, three of them with crowbars. <laughs> I turn around and my dad stood there with his 44, like, dirty Harry, like this, standing there. Going mad, you fucking bastards! <laughs> I killed him. <laughs> and um, they scarpered. And I tried chasing one of the blokes, and I had these big doofus bloody camouflage wellies on. I couldn't catch, <laughs> catch him, you know? It was so frustrating. But the one bloke that had done the mouth and off was still stood there. So I walked up to him, I cracked him, hooked him, dropped him. And um, there's people looking out the windows as well at the time, like tenants and stuff, and mainly Mexicans. Um, and he's, he kind of come around and he, was, he, he couldn't get up, so he, he crawled his way into the office. And because they threatened him, and they threatened my dad with a uh, gun, I mean, I, it is what it is. We followed him in the office, I shut the door, and I beat the shit out of him. And my dad, my dad when we were done, put the gun in his mouth and said, eh, you bastard, we're Greeks, remember this, you're going to do nothing. Wow. <laughs> um, so I went, we went back to my house after that, and by the time we got there, the police showed up, I heard the sirens. They come whizzing down the road. And because I was an illegal immigrant, my dad wasn't. My dad actually had a, a permit to carry his weapon. I jumped over the back fence and done a runner. Um, they questioned my dad and they said, where's your son? And they looked around my house with guns drawn and that, but I was gone. My, they said to my dad, okay, fair enough. Because anyone with a permit there seems to be held in high regard because you've got to have a clean record and stuff. It's normally the good citizens that have them. I had a concealed weapons permit. There you go. Yeah, it was so easy to get. Yeah. That yeah. was a legal alien. Yeah. It was ex-cops that, like, at the range that taught yeah. us to do it. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just love giving people guns. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they said, 
okay, you did the right thing because we know those guys and they would have certainly hurt you. You're lucky they only showed up with a crowbar. Um, they said, but your son shouldn't have ran. Yeah, well, whatever. They didn't know I was a legal immigrant at the time. Well, they might have because they knew of me by that point. But then they must have... Now, now looking back, I think they were trying to sue for damages because I broke the, broke the bloke's jaw and knocked his teeth out, which you know can cost fortunes over there. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were trying to get us in trouble, but a warrant was put out about three months later for us. And the thing is, they don't... They put a warrant out to arrest you. They don't ask you to come in for questioning. You're always... You're never um, innocent until proven guilty, are you? So they end up getting my dad first about three months later. You got him at gunpoint in the garden... Um, he tried doing a run and they stopped him. My sister lied to him on the door, said, no, he doesn't live here. And anyway, they, they uh, there was a car around the corner waiting. They saw him. He was like going out the fence as well. They got him, put him in jail in the city. Um, and I hadn't been arrested at that point. I wasn't sure if I get deported or not. That was my first arrest, actually. Um, so I was like, shit, I, I need to go on a run. I don't know what's going to happen. I did not want to get deported. My whole life would have been turned upside down. Um so I was up and staying at my girlfriend's house on the border of Oklahoma and Texas. Um, and then I was taking her son to school one day and I got pulled over for speeding and a state trooper pulled us over. Um, he, he was good as gold, that bloke. Um, he was an ex-Marine. Um, and he asked me what had happened. He said, right, you've got a warrant out. So they had to call her grandparents, come pick him up. It's embarrassing, you know, the pastor had to come, um, pick the boy up, take him to school. And um, the bloke actually didn't even, he let me, he cuffed me in the front because I was cuffing in the back and he let me sit in the front seat as well. So I thought that was pretty cool of him. But he said, I, he said, tell me what happened with, the, with, our, with these Albanians. And I told him and he said, you know what? I would have done the same thing. And he took me to jail, um, got out and we had to go to court after that. Um, I ended up getting charged with aggravated assault. Um, it was lessened for time spent in jail, which was only a day, to assault with bodily injury, but it's that uh, record that's making me not be able to have to go back, you know? Mm. Yeah. So what about, you know, you said in the beginning that this came about because they didn't want to pay for the roof work. Mm. I assume that no, nobody paid for the roof work then. No, they paid. Oh, they did pay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure what the argument was totally about, but it was, a, it was about roof payment, yeah. something else, um, and then my dad used one of them to do some brickwork for us, and it was an argument. I'm not, 100% of the argument, but that's what it was about. Right. But we got paid. We got paid, okay, good. Yeah. Going over to the next one then. Summer holidays, kids away, obtained a large propane tank full of ammonia, mm. selling at around $100 a gallon, mm -hmm. hidden, buried on the property. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's bringing up that little rat bastard again. Oh. Um, we, uh, we were doing a batch at her house, uh, you know, raise some money or whatever because there's, there's no kids there and I think no one on the property so we thought we had like six weeks to make some money or however long they were away um, I when I used to buy the certain type of liquid to help you do these batches it would there would be people um, who would go obtain that there would be people just to bring that to me and I, I would pay a certain amount for that maybe $50 a gallon or $100 a gallon um, and this bloke, he would scope out these certain tanks in the fields. And um, it's completely different in this country anyway. You, they don't even, it's not even a thing. Yeah. But um, he would scope it out for days in camo and come back, fill the tank, and um, I would buy it off him. 
Now, because it was so hard to come by this stuff, you could you could make good money just from that. So I had a tank full of it, and like I said, I at the time I was selling a few gallons for a hundred dollars a gallon, um, and I was going to sell it to this little bloke that um, had pulled a gun on me. Uh, so he come over, and I used to I used to keep the tank. 30 acres away on over the fence of someone else's property and dig a hole and put it in the ground, right? But I used to always lead people on thinking of other stuff. I was doing something a different way just to test people out and see what they're doing. They think they're clever, but they're, they're just, they're so far gone on the drugs or something. They're just dumb as shit. Um, so I brought the tank down and I put it under, in a kennel, under my dog's house, which was like off the floor, with a frame around it, I put it underneath the doghouse because the dog wasn't in there. And uh, it was a big dog, it was a bull mastiff. So when he showed up, um, I used to like play with these people just to see if they would try and fuck me over. He showed up, this piece of shit. And um, I said, can you help me get it out of the, from the, under the doghouse? Okay. So he put the transfer hose on, we give him some liquid or some juice as they call it. And um, he paid me, whatever it was. And then he left. And then immediately, I said, can you help me put it back under the doghouse? Yeah, I'll help you. And as soon as he was gone, boom, I had it out 30 acres away through the woods, buried again. Now, we went, uh, as soon as he left, me and her went to the um, little convenience store to get a drink or whatever, just down the road. And that dopey cow had been <laughs> printing fake money that I, I had no idea about. If I'd known that... Huge series Huge. Yeah. When I found out, I went mad. They were that thick, they were just photocopying it. They're so <laughs> stupid. And um, apparently, I found that the computer that they were doing it on was at the house as well. So I burnt the bloody thing when I found out after this. But she had tried passing a... This wasn't watched... Not one of the ones she printed, it was something else, but she tried passing a fake 20. Um, but it's all going on at the same time. And they called the cops. The cops came there and stopped us on the way back. And um, they questioned us. Um, they found some, I think, nine millimeter rounds in my truck. And um, they asked us, because it was only one bill that she tried to pass, they let us go, but there was, they were onto something else. I realized after why they let us go. Um, they said, all right, you try to pass one bill, we, you know, we'll take your name, this and that. They knew who she was big time and knew who I was at that time. Then we went back to the house, so they let us go. And uh, they, were, they searched the truck for a pistol they found the rounds, but couldn't find a pistol because I wasn't supposed to have a gun. I didn't have a permit. Um, we got to the house and about five minutes later, loads of cars pulled up, police cars, environmental officer. But actually, before they showed up, I saw that piece of shit I just sold the juice to passing by. I thought, what are you doing? I seen him like, you, I don't know what you're up to. Circling the dog kennel. Yes. Um, yeah. So we're going to the house and they all start steaming down the driveway. And um, we had some finished product in the house. So I ran in the house and she stayed out to meet them. And I punched a hole in the sheetrock wall and dropped it down. I mean, there's no way I thought they're not going to find it. There's a bloody hole in the wall, you know, in the, in the laundry room. Um, but I dropped this back. It's only about an ounce, but it's enough, you know. I dropped it down there. I'd locked the door and then she was still outside and her mum had come down as well, which was embarrassing from her house. Um... And the bloke, this detective from North Texas there, he's a right piece of shit. He's known for shooting dogs all the time. Mm. Um, he'll show up and shoot your dog. You don't care. Horrible bloke. And um, he kicked the door in 
and I just dropped it down and come out into the kitchen. And I put my hands up and he was itching to shoot me, this bloke. I could see it in his eyes, you know. Actually, I was more scared then than I've ever been of anyone, you know what I mean? Because you can't do anything about it. But um, he got me at gunpoint, took me out. And I remember he put me in the car and he was going through my phone for ages like this, trying to get in it. Or oh, he was in it, I can't remember. And, um, and they searched the house for a gun. Now, my gun was in my tool bag, just in the bedroom, underneath all my tools, because there's no one else in the house, so it was all right, in the pouch. If they just picked up, and that would have been it. would have been a charge there, but they never found it because of the, the rounds in my truck. Um, they never found the drugs either. Wow, yeah. you got lucky, man. Yeah. Um, but I went to jail that day, and I got out without paying any bail or bond, and my dad called our bail bonds lady, who was always good with us, and she said, okay, it's not costing anything because it's bullshit. They're doing it from your assault charge, which you've already been in jail for. It's because they're going to get you. She got a phone call because she was at the head of the... Her son was my lawyer, who's also now a judge. Um, and she had got word passed down saying that they're going to get me. One way or the other, they are itching to get me in three different counties. She said, whatever your son's doing, he's got to stop because they will get him one way or the other. Um, and it, it did make me stop. That was the only difference between me and all the, the other people. They used to carry on, you know, with these ideas of grandeur, not, you know, just stupidity. Well, you start violating Scarface's law, getting high in your own supply, and the mm -hmm. drugs then tell you, you're above the law, you'll never get caught, you're living like a character out of the movie, you're yeah. smarter than the cops. Well, actually, your brain's fucked, but you don't know it because no, the drugs. No, it's like a cloud. It puts a cloud in your mm -hmm. head. Absolutely. Until that cloud lifts and you look back and then yeah. you're like, "What the fuck have I been doing?" Yeah. I'm still alive. Yes. Yeah, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. So, next story: sitting in a dealer's house, a few people in there. A guy showed up to mm -hmm. see what was going on or buy something from the girl whose house it was. I told her not to even tell oh, him yeah. that she was holding because I didn't trust. Mm-hmm. What happened in that one then? Yeah, um, there was these two detectives who I'd never met before, but they, they were no, notorious. Everyone knew them. Um, there's actually a video of one of them on YouTube doing a, trying to do a wrong arrest or a wrong search. Um, they actually, one of them actually knew my brother. He'd done a roof for one of them. Um, but we're sitting in the house, and she had been selling stuff all night. Um, in fact, her I was friends with her boyfriend who was in prison and he told me to keep my eye on her and help her out make sure no one's sniffing around her and trying to do whatever they're doing so i used to go with her to uh, pick up money and collecting stuff just look out for her um now this one bloke came up i didn't i didn't like him i said he, he just showed up about three in the morning i said don't so-and-so's at the door do not tell him you got anything trust me she said no no he's okay i know him all right you do what you want to do then i'll try and look out for her and then he leaves, uh, 20 minutes later, bang, bang, bang on the door, she's two detectives. Now, she didn't have to answer it because there was no warrant, but she did. She opened the door. And they come barreling in. There's about three or four people sitting in the living room. Came straight for me, one of them. And he, um, he said, Richard Shellis. I said, yeah. He goes, you're out on bail for assault. I said, yeah. You know. Um, and he started running my name. And I actually, I didn't realise it, but I had a, a uh, warrant for running a red light, which I hadn't paid. Um, and the other one, the the nicer cop, he went in the back, he was talking to her, and he searched her and found whatever he found. Um, well, he said, right, there's a warrant out. 
So he started taking my hand and I was sat in the armchair to put cuffs in it. Now I stood up, I was trying to stand up, but there was a dog. Her dog was sitting by my feet and I kind of tripped a bit. He took it as me resisting. I wasn't resisting. You know, with cops, I've always tried to be, you know, not stupid. Um, and he took it on my hand, so I pulled back. I wouldn't let him take my arm because I was trying to, you know, steady myself. He got pissed off and he took me out on the porch before he'd cuffed me. No, no, he then cuffed me in front of everyone. He took me out on the porch and he, he whispered in my ear, he said, listen, you motherfucker, I've heard about you. I've heard you're good with your hands. I know you like to fight. Now, he was like off his head that day. I don't know what was up with him. He says, well, well, I'm a middleweight kickboxer. And I'm looking at him like, all right, good for you. He said, I've never tried to say I'm hard or none of that stuff. He just, stories get exaggerated there. That's the thing. So God knows what people were saying about me, you know. Um, <laughs> So he's, he's expecting, because he thought I was going to give him a hard time, and then he thought I was resisting. He started, whilst I was in cuffs, getting more aggressive, more and more, getting carried away, and he said, listen, you're not that tough. I've seen tougher than you. If I want, I'll put your head through that fucking wall. I said, what, while I'm in cuffs? I said, take the fucking cuffs off then. I, he pissed me off at that point. Normally, I'm good as God. I keep my mouth shut. But as I, and I remember wincing, thinking, he's going to crack me in the face. Like I was like that, because I couldn't do anything. But then his partner came out and he said, what's going on? And he stopped it. They put me in the car, put her in the car. And they were actually cool after that. Um, he turned the, the aggressive one turned back and said, listen, have you got a problem with drugs? I said, no. He said, if you have, we get you help. I suppose maybe they're supposed to say that. I don't know. But he was all right. Um, then the other one, I was trying to talk and he said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your voice? I said, what do you mean what's wrong with my voice? And the partner interrupted. He said, "No, that's that's Richard Shellis. That's Simon's brother. He's, he's English. He's British. He talks like that." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, um, "The other cop, the good cop, said, I know your brother. He did a roof of mine. He's a good guy. What happened to you?'" I'm like, I don't know. I thought I was quite good, but yeah, she ended up uh, doing a prison term. Did she? Yeah. How long? Two, three years, I think. Because I remember seeing her again before I left. Yeah. yeah. She'd already done prison herself before. But yeah, I told her not to trust that bloke. There's snitches and rats and grasses in every angle there. They come in for, all over the place. You carried on for probably a year or so after that, but being more elusive and moving around a bit more, mm -hmm. blowing through the money, staying in hotels, going to different parts of the town, continually moving... Because there's a story arc, isn't there, in all of these, whereby yeah. in the beginning it's so much fun and you're the man yes. and fucking you're meeting all these characters of the night and you just think this is it, I'm yeah. living in a movie. Yeah. But then the police heat increases, yes, people owe you money, people are trying to set you up, people are trying to snitch mm -hmm. you out. Yep. And all those forces just gather momentum, don't they, against yes. you, which sinks everything. Yeah, they don't lessen either, it just gets worse and it's worse. It gets worse and worse. It's on, and you're thinking, I can reverse this somehow. Yeah. But you never can. It no. gets no. sucks, sucks, sucks yeah. you down. She so was, you was always armed with a pistol, mm -hmm. and you remember hearing of a huge enforcer type bloke named Jay, who happened to be a cousin of your girlfriend. Mm. So this is fucking intense. This one, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember hearing about this bloke. Um, everyone was scared of him and stuff. He was a real straight bloke though. He wasn't one of those scumbags that you never know what they're up to. He was a straight talker, it is what it is. Um, this guy was an AB, was he? He was, apparently. I never asked my mate about it, so I don't know how high up or if he was on paper or anything, but apparently he was. Um, but 
according to my mate, he said there's only a few of them. I'm not sure if he was one of them, but maybe he was. Um, I met him one day. Apparently, he got out of prison. My girlfriend said he wants to meet me because he'd heard I've been <laughs> ironing people out all over town, all these junkies and scumbags that he didn't like either. He was like me in that respect. And people that used to show up at her house, you know, disrespectful and disrespecting her parents' land and all that stuff. I just used to beat the shit out of all of them. I was like cleaning the place up. Anyway, he liked that and he wanted to come meet me. What did he look like? Well, he was, it was night time and I seen this figure stood by the house. I was coming down the drive. Biggest bloke I've ever seen in my life. I started approaching. I got out of the truck and I'm thinking, shit, what's going on here? And this bloke must have been, he must have been at least six, eight, but built as well. Massive bloke. Biggest bloke I've ever come across. And um, yeah, full of tattoos and stuff. Big hands, big head. And um, I started walking <laughs> walking towards him. He used to do with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And she said, this is Jay, my cousin. I was like, oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can I do to this bloke? And um, he shook my hand and stuff. And he said, I heard you've been wherever we were, on and out some people around here. I like your style, he said. I said, all right, fair enough. And um, I, I never actually met him again after that. But he, like I said, he just got out. Um, he, st- he got back involved in some stuff and he was, you know, beating in, beating some heads and doing what he was doing, doing some collecting. And he was, one day, he was trying to take a nap at the car workshop he was staying at with an apartment above it. And a few people congregated outside some of these meth heads. Um, now, he, no one wanted to fight this bloke because obviously he was just so damn big. And like I said, there, in, that, in those circles, people are just not hard. They don't want to fight with their fists. They're cowards, you know? Um... Now, they've been making a ruckus outside with some loud music and stuff. So he come out and bellowed at one of the blokes, turn that fucking music down. That, that's, I'm, I wasn't there, but apparently the bloke shit himself. He was there with his brother and a few others trying to show off because he, he ridiculed him. He might, he might have even got hold of him or something, I don't know. He went back in the house. So this bloke who shouted at took it upon himself to take out his SKS assault rifle, start firing at the door. Um, the bloke who owned the shop ducked down um, and this Jay ducked down but he caught him in the head and blew his brains apart Whoa. yeah we know this because of the, the bloke that was in there he was a really nice bloke as well the one that had the shop and he, he looked down and he said you fucking killed Jay just killed him just because he embarrassed him you know yeah. um, I remember my girlfriend went up went there that day and she helped clean up all the brain matter and stuff off of the walls holy shit but yeah did the shooter have to face the consequences yes. of that from the ABs or from law enforcement? Well, he, I know he went to prison, definitely. Went to prison. Because the bloke... Imagine going to prison for killing an AB. Yeah. yeah. You are screwed. Yes. Um, <sighs> the others didn't want to uh, grass him up, though, because they were... All the blokes that were there, none, no one wanted to say anything. He said, look, I know he killed my... He was his best friend, the one who they were questioning, but he still didn't want to grass him yeah, up. Yeah, because you don't want to be a snitch either. No. Um, yeah. But he went to prison. God knows what happened to him. Um, bad news. Because he was a top bloke as well. He wasn't like any of the others. Because he was manly, you know. He would sort people out and he wasn't shady like the rest of them. So a guy who was a victim of thalidomide asked you to step into a situation. Yeah. Um, he was actually a real good guy. When we used to batch off, he used to sell, he used to go straight to the um, oil rigs and sell it to those lads. I'd give him an ounce or two which, and he would sell, I'd say I'd give it to him for $700 or $1,000. He would go and sell it all for dollar for dollar, like 
you know, nearly 2,000 profit for him within an hour, to all the oil rig workers. What did this character look like? Well, he had... His hands were... I was guessing the arms about that long, growing out of his shoulders. Yeah. Um, the funny thing was, he had a reputation for being tough. Now, we, I was working on the, working the bag one day, punching the bag, and um, he started kicking it. He was pretty good, actually. But um, I went to a place one time to pick up some money from this bloke who was also, back in the day, had a reputation for kidnapping and stuff and all kinds of enforcing. And he was outside and he was there to collect some money. Um, and he said to me, when I was walking in, he said, how's it going, Richard? You all right? We're good buddies, right? I said, yeah, we're good buddies. I said, what's going on? He said, well, I'm about to go see, wherever his name was, he's ripped me off. <laughs> and he said... He said, you got my you got my back, right? And I'm thinking, well, who's got your fucking sides, mate? Because he's, you know, it's a bit of a dodgy situation, you know, yeah. without trying to be too mean. But um went in there and it got sorted. Maybe because I was there, I don't know, because I had a bit of respect. But, yeah. yeah, but he was a really good guy, actually. Um Was it tense in there or did, did they roll over easily? No, they were right when we went in, in the end. Um But I'm sure they would have put it on him, you know, because they were some bad people. I mean, a lot of it might have been because I was best friends with this, you know, AB bloke. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I got away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, sounds Because like your fists can only get you so far, can't they? Definitely. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you and the AB were out collecting debts and mm. you stopped at a guy's house who was a known hitman with multiple yes. hits. Mm -hmm. Yes. We, um, yeah, this is the eeriest part of that story when I really had to second think some stuff in my life um, I'd been there once before um, that's when I found out that the bloke there was who he was um, back in the day he he was known for doing hits um, for, for, for whoever I'm assuming for the AB um, but the first day we went there I remember showing up with my my buddy and um, knocked at the door and the guy's like holy shit it's you because they'd done time together and they, he knew who he was. That's when I realised how much of a nightmare my mate was when he was in prison, you know, and how much of an enforcer and stuff. But they were all cool. No, none of them people really show The real true ones, they don't show off or none of them are mouthy, you know. But one evening, we went round there just to we went just to collect some money. Um, and we normally, when we go, go to places, we'd always park down a road, around a corner, never put the vehicle outside because everywhere's being watched all the time. You never know. So... We go in there, must have been about 11 o'clock at night, I think. We sat there, and um, it was a bit tense and nervous in there. Like, we showed up out of the blue, like we weren't supposed to show up, and this bloke was a bit bit put off by it. And we're sitting there, and I think he went, we were waiting for the money to show up. Well, there's a bit of a commotion, and he got a text message or something, or a phone call. And he looked really nervous, like like he was about to say we got to leave, but he, he was a bit nervous about saying that because we were waiting on money. You know, it's so tense, that's it. You don't know how it's going to be taken. But as he's saying it, the back door opens and about three blokes pull him. they got something heavy wrapped in plastic and they're dragging it in. And I looked over. I think, what the fuck is that? It looks like a body. It, it couldn't have been anything else. And um, he, I think he just like gave a look to my friend. My, my mate realised and he's like, we've got to go, let's go. Because it all happened at once. We weren't supposed to be there. They weren't supposed to show up like that. We got out there and we didn't say anything and um, we drove away. And I, met, and I said to my mate, like, on the way home, like, not in so many words, but I said, was that? He said, yeah. And I thought, what am I involved with? This is ridiculous, you know? 
It, re- it really put the frighteners on me because... Proper no country for old men, isn't it? Yes, because I didn't need to be involved in any of that shit. You know? It was all just stupidity. So how did your first deportation occur then? I actually wasn't deported. Oh, you um, wasn't? No. You just left. I just left because it got so bad. Um, and when we got the phone call from the bail bonds lady saying they are going to get your son and they were trying to trying to send in grasses to me and snitches in, from every every time I took a step someone was trying to set me up they were trying to they gave up trying to set me up with drugs like, like the police had a bounty on you or something yes without a doubt the police said it themselves the detective said it to my dad he said that that piece of shit like the one that was, got all aggressive he told my dad he said they're after your son we're after your son we're going to get him he keeps slipping through the net but it's not going to last forever and then the then the bail bonds lady said it. I was a big talk around there. And he actually said, that detective said to me, do you realise you stick out like a sore thumb around here? You're going around doing things thinking you're clever, but everyone knows, and people exaggerate about you as well because of who you are and your accent. Um, so, you know, I started to think this is getting ridiculous. I couldn't budge. All these people would be sent to me to try and um, buy drugs off me or something, and I never fell for it, ever. Not one time. Always yeah, they tried that with us as well. We're from out of town. We want a big quantity. Yeah. Never heard of these fucking fields yeah. before. Like, yeah. we're going to fall for that, you know? Yeah. They, um, so I never fell for that. So they, they went from a different angle. I bought a gun from one bloke once, um, and he was known. I started to realise that he was a bloody no-good grass snitch. Um, I started hearing stories and stuff, and the phone calls I'd get from him, like, you know... Weird. Why would you ask me that? You never asked me that shit before. And then one time he said, listen, can you meet me over? Have you still got that nine or or whatever it was? Ruger. I said, what? Like on the phone. What do you mean? He said, can you come meet me with it? I thought, yeah, all right. I'm going to come meet you with it, mate. You know? And I thought, you piece of shit. But it's so blatant. Yeah. Um, and then another time someone called me up and asked if we could get someone beaten up. Because the police were saying, right, he's got an assault charge. Let's get him on assault. Let's get him on a gun charge. Violent crime, gun. Yes. Violence and guns compounds your sentence, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So they kept trying it that way. And I thought, they're going to get me one of these days. I know it. Even if they... I used to I used to worry that they would open my car up at night and plant stuff on me. Yeah. You know, that was a big worry of mine. It never happened. But um, so, so many stories I've got of people trying to grasp me up and set me up and snitch and roadblocks and... Oh, it's ridiculous. So you had the foresight to get out. Yes. So, but he goes back. <laughs> yeah. I, one, I, I never wanted to go back. I thought because if I go back, I'm stuck. Yeah. I'd rather just ride this out and maybe sort myself out and get out of this world. So I was adamant about not going back. Um, and my mum, being a uh, Christian woman, she's had all these prayer meetings in churches and stuff about me. And I feel bad talking about that now. Um, and then something just hit me one day. I, I remember where I was. I was took my nephew to football practice, American football, and something just hit me like a lightning bolt, said, right, that's it, I'm I'm going home. And um, so I remember within a couple of days, because my dad had already come back to England because of his health, and they'd brought him back to health by now, the NHS, they were brilliant. Um, took him off all his medication, put him on insulin. So my mum said, are you sure you're going? Because I'm about to tell dad that you're coming home. He, want, you know, he wants you there. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going home. And within like a week, I was gone. I didn't even look back and I was, I remember I arrived in England 
And I remember regretting it as soon as we landed. It was all grey and miserable, raining. Mm, yeah, you see all that versus the southwest. Yeah. And I remember thinking, these cars are tiny. And the huh? roads, it's yeah, like dodging cars. Yeah. I was thinking, this is like dodging cars. How can people drive? Yeah. yeah. Winding little little ass roads and Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, I've been too hasty. I should have just stayed. This is ridiculous. <sighs> now I'm stuck here. Um But I came back and Immediately, I thought, no, I need to find a way to get back to America. I'm not going to get involved in stupid stuff again, but I've got to get back. Um, and at the time, you were, you could still go through Mexico with a driver's license. Before we get to that, mm. you've got Pat McCann yeah. visiting you, and um, there's a situation with a gang that stole 70000 in cash. Oh, yeah. Um, that's when I came back. Yeah, that, that guy, my dad's friend who... Um, sorted out some stuff when I was a kid he was the first person we stopped at a cafe to a cafe for breakfast I missed an English breakfast you know went in there and Pat came in he said yeah go around and see my son you know he'll want to see you and that um, that was within an hour from the airport you know um, so I went around and seen seen his son because I went to school with him good friends of him um, I started to feel a bit more I was you know seeing old old faces and stuff I felt a bit better now but um I didn't know what I was going to do with myself as far as, you know, work, career. I was, I was lost. I'd been doing crazy stuff for so long. I come back to my mates and I'd never told them none of this stuff. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. So if one of my best friends, he was, um, he knew a guy who was a young bloke, but he was very notorious. He, he knew he's got connections, Liverpool, Manchester, all over the place. Um, he needed... A driver. Now, when he said driver, I knew what he meant because I had another friend from school was his minder. Um, and while he was minding him, he got attacked because he used to carry 100 grand in cash, 70 grand in cash for whatever he was doing. He got attacked by a gang. Um, I think my mate was sitting in the car around the corner and all he saw was this bloke come running around, his fingers hanging off, his head split open. They'd hit him with machetes. He was trying to cover up and they took the money off him. He rushed into hospital and saved his life. Like, bad out of hell. Um, so I was introduced to this bloke and to take over from where he was. I didn't know this at the time, though. I thought I'd just be driving him about. Um, and it, I didn't want to do this stuff, but I was driving him about, getting in stupid situations, and there was pe people kicking doors in and like the police were coming in at places, and I thought, I've come back to England for this shit. I was doing that stuff over there, you know? I was supposed to be changing my life around. So that didn't last that long. Mm. Um, I got away from him. But, and the funny thing was, see, after that, I knew what I was going to do. Really in a rut. So I ended up signing up to be a bus driver, okay? <laughs> yeah, after all the stuff I've done, I'm now learning to drive wow. buses. But, um, and the thing is, after I'd, I'd done the bus license, I was sitting on the bus at night waiting to go out, back out. I got a phone call from him from prison. Him and his minder got nicked for collecting money off someone and taking the Rolex that he had because mm. he had a lot of money. And I thought, and he was calling from his prison cell. I thought, see, that would have been me. Yeah, you know? yeah. There I was making 300 quid a week driving buses, hating it. And I thought, yeah, I'm glad I got out of that. Dodged the bullet again. Yeah. You've been so lucky. It's like you've got a guardian angel. I, I most definitely have a guardian angel. Yeah. I mean, this is just a fraction of the stories, you know? Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. But a funny thing was, what, before I went for 
the day before I started my bus training, I'd just come, like I said, I'd just come back from America and I, I hooked up with all my old mates and we went out to the pub in Ryslip, got in a fight and we got nicked because there was uh, off-duty coppers in there. Mm. And this dragged on for 18 months. And this was the, I got out of jail in my paper suit and by, I had to get home. By nine o'clock, I was already at the bloody bus thing ready for my training. Oh. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, that was, we almost got in a lot of trouble over that one, you know. So the call of the southwest of America, you couldn't resist the call to go back. Not at all. I really wanted to get back because all my other mates had got on with their, with their lives. You know, they were plumbing companies, roofing companies, all settled down. Yeah. And I was just there on my own. And, you know, as bad as it was, it was an exciting life, what I'd left in America. Driving the bus, you were looking at Google, Google Maps of the border. I was absolutely obsessed with getting back into America. And while I was here... They had changed the law. You can't just use a driver's license to get across the borders, the land borders. Um, they also changed the law to where they now fingerprint you. So when you uh, fill out the visa waiver thing or the ESTA form, you can't lie because they'll fingerprint you at the border. Yeah, we managed to smuggle wild man and wild woman back into America through Mexico days before 9-11 happened, just yeah, days. Yeah, that's what did it, 9-11. Yeah. Yes, it changed everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they put those laws in. So one thing after the other, I'm, like, I'm not going to get in. There's no way. So I started looking at I started looking at the Canadian border and I started to start. I'd be on the bus on my 15-minute break studying Google Earth and, and the land and how I'm going to get across and this and that. Yeah. Um, finding out that they got pressure pads or something in the, you know, in the woods and stuff. But I know there's... But you need to know someone to get you across. You're not going to do it on your own, even in even on the Canadian border. Um, so yeah, we brought him on through the Canadian border on another occasion as well. Yeah, that was before 9/11 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit easier before 9/11, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That changed everything, which is understandable. Um, so this went on and on, and I remember saying I didn't really tell you. I didn't tell anyone actually that I was trying to get back, but I ended up telling a couple of family members because I wanted to asked my brother-in-law who is a Mexican-American and grew up on the border town married my sister and he's got connections from down there um, so I started talking to him and he said listen I'll sort it out for you don't worry and um, so he made some phone calls and they said we'll get him across there was, was a couple of people who could do it with the coyotes and he sealed a deal for $1,800 which I thought was crazy cheap you know because yeah. it can cost way more than that it's price of prices yeah yeah, um, so this went on for months and months, and I was still doing a stupid, dreary job. And um, but I didn't care because I, I knew I had a means to an end. Like, and um, was talking for months about it and how it's good. Neither of us really knew how we were going to do it. I know there's a river there. I was wondering, will it be a tunnel? Will it be hidden in a car? Will it be swimming? I, I thought it would be we'd be swimming across, right? Now. I remember going to the River Thames on a walk with my family and I'm thinking, I couldn't get across that. There's no way. That's like Even now, just going across the Thames, how the hell am I going to get across the Rio Grande with all the reeds and bushes and the cartels and the bloody God knows what? But I didn't care. I was so depressed at the time, I just wanted to go again. I wanted to kind of go back to America and prove to myself, you know, that I can do it without misbehaving and this and that. I just wanted to get back. So your plan was not to misbehave? Yes, Definitely. Not to misbehave. And I didn't, really. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I ended up telling a few friends and they were making fun of me, you know, all saying, you know, just blowing it off like, well, you can, I started to get a reputation of always going on about America, like, I started a sentence in America, and then here, here he goes, Uncle Albert. You know, see, at least I had pizza, and we used to always just, yeah. His missus is like, oh, I'm going upstairs. You guys, all yeah. you talk about yeah. is America. What happened in America? We could heard that story exactly. over and over again. You can't help it though. Yeah, because it's so different. Isn't it? It's like so another different. level, isn't it? Yeah, the, the story. I don't repeat the stories because they just sound too much. Like, yeah, that didn't happen. Well, it did. it's the same here. You know, some people are like, how can this happen? Like, yeah. But it's just next level out there, yeah. isn't it? Compared Everything's to, compared extreme. Compared to what's, yeah. what's going on here in the, yeah. in the crime world. The crime yeah. world out there is just... Yes. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's so extreme. So you tell your stories and then they're like, it's making this shit yeah. up, you know? I don't tell them. I've just started telling it now for you. Yeah, And yeah. I, I try and put it in the back of my head because it brings back bad memories because so much stuff I can't and won't talk about, you know? Mm. Um I've never even seen an episode of what's that Breaking Bad yeah oh man I was watching Breaking Bad and like I said in the beginning to the viewers you've got New Mexico right in between Texas and Arizona so all the characters that you saw Walter and Jesse interact with in Breaking Bad um, bikers cartel gang members um, and at the end they didn't call them the ABs but you know they obviously were the portrayal of the ABs um, the white guys, the Nazi guys. Um, we have we have met all those characters, haven't mm, we? Because yeah. that's just how it is out there. Yeah, it's like the movies. Yeah, it, it is, is like the movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, it was all in the back of my head until I started telling this story, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I've started to, I remember so many more things and there's so much more in, in between all the little stories, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, um, I had my mind set on going back. My mates thought, there's no way you're going to do it. But they, don't, they didn't know anything about me. All they knew about me was when I, when I lived there before. They knew nothing about, you know, my criminality in Texas and the stuff I've seen and done. Um, so I carried on a few months down the line. Um, then I started to prepare to go across the border. Um, at the time, I'd, I'd then left the buses and I went, I was driving at the airport, airport uh, buses for staff. Um, and I remember talking to my brother-in-law in my, in my breaks of what we're going to do. Um, I, I remember I picked a hotel on the border, a Holiday Inn, and the reason I picked this one is because it had a um, like a consulate room there, it was like a jail cell, like a, a security room, um, a US consulate. Not that they would have helped me; they probably would have just nicked me. But I thought it was one of the safest places because when I started reading about going across the border, it was highly dangerous. The city I went through apparently was worse than anywhere in the Middle East. Um, there's like a list of cities and there's protocols for people if they get caught out in a city or something happens and they need to um, contact the British to get help. And there's certain cities, there is no protocol. You're not supposed to be there. And apparently this was in the top three. Because of the cartel war. Yes, because the car- it's so damn There's dangerous. two cartels going at each other wasn't yes. it? in that territory. It's Green terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, people getting decapitated and kidnapped. And and I knew, I'm only because he'd already told me the price, how much it's going to cost, $1,800. Now, in my mind, I thought, if they see a white person on the border, um, surely they would think 
well, he could be worth way more if we kidnap him because they just assume all white people have got money, you know, way more than $1,800. That was a worry, and it was a worry for my brother-in-law as well. But like I said at the time, I didn't care. I thought I was going to die going there, and that was it. I didn't care. Um, sounds silly now, looking back, because I didn't come from a war-torn country or anything, but it is what it is. Um, so I, we were preparing. I bought a flight, booked a flight, uh, booked the hotel um, on the border of Texas and Mexico, um, a city called Reynosa. So um, you had to fly from where? Because it was the cheapest flight I could find at the time was a German flight. So I went from here to Lufta, to um, Germany, the Lufthansa flight, to Germany, from Germany to Mexico City, from Mexico City to Reynosa. Um, yeah, my smugglers came in from... Um Sometimes Air France, I think we may have used Lufthansa, mm. and uh, Mexico City, and then over to Hermosillo. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an eye-opener when you go to Mexico. Um, I was so tired because of so many flights. I remember we got to Mexico City, and then we had to get on a tiny little plane. And the people getting on this plane, a couple of them looked like, maybe one was a reporter, the other people looked like maybe business people or DEA. Um there's only about five of us on this tiny little plane and everyone's looking at me wondering, you know, wh why am I going to Renosa? Because uh, the the other agents or whoever it was had um, shirt and ties on and it was just me and they just looked weird. But they don't, no one messes with you because they're not sure who you are or what you're doing. There's absolutely no CIA reason. Yeah, yeah, something in my five. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. So we get there and we land on the um, tarmac and we go out and there's a soldier, armed soldier there, um, and he was asking for paperwork. I didn't know what he was saying. He was, he was saying, where's your paperwork? And he, he started to get a little bit heated. And I'm thinking, I don't know what you're done about. But I didn't realise it was a, something I'd already signed. I gave it to him and he just nodded and said, go on in. And I could see my brother-in-law through the glass waiting for me. And he had hired a Mexican guy that he knew from America who grew up on, in that border town to drive us about. That's sweet. Because no one goes there and he didn't want to bring his truck because he'll get robbed and shot because they chop your truck up and sell it or whatever. Um, you always got to go in a really cheap rubbish car because it's so dangerous. Um, so he hired, was in this rubbish car with this bloke driving. And um, this bloke was so nervous. Well, I went in, hugged my brother-in-law, said, all right, you know, we're good to go. Let's go. So we're driving back to the hotel. But this Mexican bloke was so nervous being back there it's that dangerous. Because he lived there, he knew. Yes. He knew everything that he's was going like on. He's like this. And um, so we get to the hotel and he's, I think he stayed with us that night. And the next day, he looked at me, said, I'll see you on the other side. He took it, my hand, shook my hand. Like, because he knew it was so serious. He couldn't believe I was doing it. Because white people wow. just don't do it really. No. Weirdo. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're in this hotel for days. Um, when I read about things you should do and shouldn't do, especially in that, this is for Mexico City, never mind Reynosa. You're not even supposed to be there, like I said. Um, especially do not go to an ATM or any of that stuff. But my brother-in-law, one of the days, had to go to an ATM. So we walked out, and there's people on the corners, like like spotters, yeah. you know, everywhere there. And I remember him staring at us, and I was stood there behind him, and because he wasn't sure who I was, they let it go, you know. I kind of like reached into my T-shirt and he just slunk back behind a corner. I thought, we've got to get out of here. This is bad news. And um, 
another time we went out, we come out of the hotel room to go get something to eat, and it was just crowded with loads of law enforcement, Americans, um, that could be DEA, DEA or whoever, and Mexicans, flooding the place. And we're like, we just slunk back in the room to sod that, because they wonder why we're there, you know? Wasn't the moment where the driver said, um, if such and such cartel pulls us over, we're okay? Yes. But... My brother-in-law told me, he said, listen, before we got there, before I'd even got to Mexico, he said, listen, this is the name of the uh, cartel member. Um, it was like one name, it wasn't two names. He said, if you get pulled over by the police or cartel, you say this name, you're good to go, because we've paid for the privilege. Um, and he obviously knew him. Um, but if I'd got stopped by the Zetas or Zetas, what they call them, I'd been in big trouble. Because are, are you with who? They would have just either kidnapped me, chopped my head off, chopped my head. If I mentioned that name, they would have decapitated me. It's just headless bodies all over that bloody place, you know? Yeah, Mexico's divided into what, to what are called plazas. So whoever owns that plaza, you have to pay for the rights to go through it, whether yourself as a person mm. or to move your drugs through it. But because that territory was under dispute by the two different cartels, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes a bloodbath, doesn't yeah. it? Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember being that scared of any of it because I just wanted, I was so determined. I don't know, it just, this is how I am. Put your eyes on the prize. I was more scared doing this interview today, Drew, than I've <laughs> ever, ever been. But, um, yeah, so we had a, we were waiting there to get the, the call from the um, coyotes, the people who were going to smuggle me across. I still didn't know how I was going to get across. All we were told were wear shorts and stuff like as if you were spending a day at the beach. I said, all right. And I was so white at the time. Well, my legs were so white. I stuck out <laughs> badly. But um, So, actually, no, we didn't know that at first. They told us, because we kept getting a few false calls. Okay, he's ready to go. Let's go. And then they say, no, false alarm. Go back to the hotel. We'll call you tomorrow. And then the day before we went, they said, right, he needs to wear some shorts and stuff. Um, so I remember cutting these stupid trousers down, and my legs were so white. It was ridiculous. Um and I was trying to like blend in, but I ain't doing that. <laughs> and then we finally get a, the real call. They said, right, is he ready to go? He's ready. Um, my brother-in-law stood up. You ready? Let's do it. Shook his hand, hugged him. Said, see you on the other side. So I go out and I get in a big SUV, a Suburban. And there's a girl driving, holding a uh, baby, like a six-month-old baby while she was driving. Didn't know how I was getting across at this point. Um, and we started driving around, driving around. And I remember and what I'd actually done, I put, <laughs> it wouldn't have done much good, but I took a Stanley blade and I taped it on the inside of my belt just in case someone tried to tie it in my hands behind my back. I thought I might be able to cut through the rope. I can't even, <sighs> stupid really, but, you know, anything I could think of, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It might work, you never know. Yeah. But um, I remember my brother-in-law thinking, his biggest fear was that I would take something the wrong way and start trying to smack people in the mouth, <laughs> you know. And I was nervous, I didn't know. And he didn't know. Um, the first person they picked up was a real big bloke, a Mexican. I've never seen a Mexican this big, actually. And he gets in, I've got my eye on him, looking at him, thinking, if he reaches in his jacket, I'm going to give him one hell of a crack on the chin and try and get out of his car. So I'm just watching him the whole time. And then we start picking up other people. And we picked up, like, three girls, heavily pregnant girls. I, I started to, like, relax a little bit then. Because I thought, all right, this bloke, you know, he's not going to try and kidnap me. He would have done it already, you know. We picked up a few people, about eight or nine people. Um, I, I understand these girls are obviously trying to get to America to have their kids, you know, so they can become uh, residents or yeah. citizens. Yeah, cards, yeah. yeah, they're all about seven months pregnant. 
Um, so we picked a few people up. We're driving around and we're driving past these shrines, these death shrines. I forget what they call them, but it's to honour the dead. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it's really eerie, especially in my position of driving about. I'm like, oof. We had all these little skulls dressed up with candles and stuff on the side of the road. And God knows what they're for. All these, where are all these dead people coming from? But they're everywhere. And we're driving around for hours. It seemed like hours. And I'm trying to look at landmarks and stuff in case I've got a scarper. Um, but I just gave, we drove around for so long, I didn't know where I was. Then we ended up getting to the river. Mm -hmm. And it was midsummer. Well, it was June. And it's in Mexico, you know? So it's roasting hot. They put us in this aluminium shed, aluminium roof. And um, they put us all in there, all hiding, right on the river. And there's people, um, there's a few people, like you see people like walking down, one person in a tree, they've got binoculars and phones, and they're just checking the river, seeing what the patrol boats are doing, you know, here and there. It's taking forever, you're sitting in there. And um, I still didn't know how I was going to get across at this point. I thought... Must, we're probably going to swim, I'm sure of it. <laughs> I would have drowned, without a doubt. But because it's fast-flowing current underneath, people drown all the time. And you can't take any kind of um, life vests or anything because you've got to look like you're just having a day at the river. Um, but the thing is, I shouldn't have been amongst these people, a big white shaven-head bloke, you know, against all these little Mexicans. I stood out like crazy. But I remember seeing this speedboat going up and down the river up and down, blaring music and pulling an inflatable donut with kids on it and stuff. And um, a, few, a couple more hours went by and they came back up and down and there's patrol boats going up and down for the border patrol. Um, and then they said, right, let's go. And I was in the first group, maybe three or four people. So we go out there. And the thing is, I went to the river, I'm looking around, about to like jump in. And they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And the speedboat pulls up, the one that was pulling the... Inflatables had no one on it at this time. Pulls up and said, no, this way. And so I got in the boat. I almost jumped in the river. Um, they put us in a boat, a few of us, and we up and down, up and down. We passed a patrol boat. And the driver waves, big waves, so I just waved as well. Was that American patrol or Mexican? American patrol. Oh, so they had everyone bought off. Had to have. Cartel, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of this stuff about the wall, I don't know. It's, you know? it's just all posturing. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, so we passed them. And there's no, this patrol boat had passed this boat full of kids before, and all of a sudden, the kids are gone. I'm on there, this big white bloke, um, with these other pregnant girls. Obviously, something's fishy going on, so that was what that was, you know. And then they go up and down, up and down, and they finally stopped at an apartment on stilts, right by the, on the other side. And we jumped off, um, good to go, went in there, and remember there's a Mexican girl like, helping me get off with American accent, because they thought it was a bit weird, a European bloke coming. And they said, where, where are you from? I said, England. He said, that's a sexy accent. I thought, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'd missed that. I've been away four years. That's why we went there. The yeah. sexy accent. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we sat in that apartment for a good, seemed like forever. And um, they, they picked up all the others. and then But they got rid of all the others before me this time. And I was the last one to be dropped off. But what was frustrating was I felt like I could have just walked away from there through the woods and, in, you know, because I'm white, they wouldn't have stopped me. Yeah. You know, but I had to stick with them because they, they needed paying. Um, so they took me to another house, which felt like forever. Um, and then I was finally taken to a 7-Eleven petrol station. 
and my brother-in-law was there, um, made the deal, paid him the money, and I was in, almost. Um, we stayed for a few days with my cousin, with my brother-in-law, but we, 60 miles north of the border, there's another checkpoint. They're not really supposed to stop people because they want the flow of traffic, but they can stop you. Uh, well, they, they, they do stop you and ask you if you're American citizens, but they don't. They try not to search a car too much because they've already done that on the border. Um, so I was I was more nervous about this border than I was the cartel border. Um, so I'd come so far. Well, the day came to to you know drive north, you know, so I'd truly be free and in America. And I remember my friends before I left England. They got together and they took me to the pub the night before. And they sat down um, and said, right, tell us how you think you're going to get to Texas. Go on. I said, well, you really want to know? I said, yeah, how are you going to get across the border? I said, well, you know, they take you there and they've got people in trees with radios and they start making fun of me. So what, people in trees? Is that how they can do it, Rich, is it? <laughs> well, I don't know. It is what it is. You ain't, you ain't doing nothing. You're staying here. You'll be here next year. You watch. <laughs> well, because I used to finish, uh, start every sentence with in America as well. He used to make fun of me. With, I was with my brother-in-law driving through, got to the second checkpoint. They looked in, American citizens? Yes, sir. And we were in. Have a nice day now. So I text, uh, then I sent a group text to all my mates, said in America. They couldn't believe it. Wow. Yeah. And if you want to hear what happens next, you're going to have to wait for perhaps the second part of this if Richard is kind enough to come back on and fill us in with what happens next and the rest of his stories, which he has many, many of. So please let us know in the comments what you thought about this. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the viewers watching? Don't do drugs. <laughs> I was never into drugs before, never touched them. And all I was given was a little capsule and it ruined my life. Yeah. Without a doubt, it's, it's bad news. You know, because there's a lot of people that have experienced drugs and done this and that. But it's for the people that think it's harmless and they don't have addictive personalities. All it takes is one capsule and your whole life can turn upside down. You staunch anti-drugs and look yes. what happened. It's that easy. It just gets you. Like that. We do like to finish with an important life lesson, social message for young people. So appreciate that. If people want to contact you, are you on socials, anything like that? Mm -hmm. Which ones are you on? Um... All of them, really. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, under my name, Richard Shellis. So we will put all of the links in the description box below the video. You can have a lot of people clicking over in there. Uh -oh. What happened next, Richard? You just got back. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logos in the bottom corner. Huge thank you to people who've gone down, clicked on the links, watched our other playlists, supported us on the socials, donation links, etc. Everything is down there. All right, give us a hug, big man. Cheers. Yeah, brilliant. Good man.